You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Hey, everyone. Thank you. You're not wrong. Um, I do look good today, though. All right. Um, Christmas is almost here. Uh, One of the things that uh, I struggle with every year is getting Christmas presents, because I care about the people in my life, but I'm a terrible gift giver. And so this time of year is filled with anxiety as I try to figure out uh, what my family might want, especially my mom. She is the most expert gift giver. She's very good at giving gifts. She's kind of the opposite of me because I'm an excellent gift receiver. Um, I'm very good. I, and I make it very known because like, I do have anxiety about this. I'll let everybody know what I like, what I want, and what you can buy me. Uh, and so I, I'm very good about that. And I think that that's a nice thing to do, even though it seems greedy, um, which it is a little bit. But uh, I'm very easy to buy stuff for because I let people know what I like. Um, but my mom, she's very tough to buy things for because all she tells you is, don't get me anything, and I want to buy you stuff, and that's just kind of her attitude. Um, and I'm really excited because I get to see her today, so that's cool. Um, right. We're going to dive in today to our story, uh, but before we get into the, the text, I wanted to share a story about uh, a man, and I have a picture of him up here. Handsome man, isn't he? Um, his name is Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Has a nice ring to it, right? He's, uh, he's a writer, and he lived a, a while back, uh, and he has kind of a tragic story. He, uh, he lost his wife. Uh, she, she was making food one day, and uh, her dress caught fire, and he attempted to put out the dress. Uh, and in, in his effort to save his wife, he ended up getting severe burns uh, all along his body and face. Uh, and that's why he grows out the beard, because it, it covers the scars of his burns. Uh, and ultimately, his wife ended up passing from all of the, the burns. And then, uh, this was during the Civil War period, his son uh, joins up with the North and starts to fight in the Civil War, and he gets news one day that his son has been shot. Um, now, his son would ultimately end up living, but at the moment, he didn't know uh, that his son was going to live. So he's, he's experienced this tragic death of his wife. He's experienced the, the pain of not only losing her, but in his effort to save her, uh, he ended up getting burned. And now uh, his oldest son is in the, this war, this conflict that's going on in this great nation. He moved to this nation and thought this was going to be a great place, promising nation that, that uh, is going to be good for them. And now it's caught up in this conflict, this war, and his son is caught up in it. And now his son is shot and he gets this words, or he gets this news about his son. And it's at this point, he decides to write these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet their words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then rang the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep, The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. The world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. 
if you know this carol, it's one of my favorites. It's called I Heard the Bells. Um, and I grew up singing this, and it was one of my favorites. Um, and then I heard the story behind it. I was like, wow, that's crazy. He went through all of that, and he was able to write this. Uh, and one of the things that I, was striking me as we were doing this Advent series, and one of the things that I hope you've been taking away, uh, is that we, we have a tendency to think that hope, peace, joy, and love, that these are the absence of things. That hope is, is the absence of despair. That peace is the absence of conflict. That joy is the absence of sadness. And that love is the absence of loneliness. But the, the truth is that all of these things aren't the absence of something. They're the presence of something. And, and that's what Henry Wadsworth Longfellow understood in this moment as he's hearing these bells and writing these words. He's saying that, you know what, all around me I see the conflict, I see the despair, and I see all the problems, and I, I personally am experiencing it. And yet he understands that those bells continue to ring. And so he sees it from a different lens. Rather than seeing it from the lens of, God, what the heck are you doing? I look around and I see the circumstances and I don't see hope. And I don't see peace or joy or love. But he's understanding that he, he, it's, it's not about the absence of these things. That there still is hope. There still is peace. There still is joy. And there still is love in spite of all of these dark things that are going on around him. And that's what I hope that we can understand is, is that as we dive into this Advent series and as we've gone through it, that you can take away this, this, this truth, that the bells continue to ring. They will continue to ring and continue to ring, and that's the power that God has, that it's not about the absence of pain or problems, that it's the presence of his good glory and his good deeds. So... Uh, we're going to talk about love today uh, and close off this series, but it, just keep that in mind that when I talk about love and when we dive into the word, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be without evil or pain or problems. It's going to, that those things are still going to persist because there's sin in this world. But God's love is stronger and continues to ring echoes throughout time. So let's pray and then we'll dive into our scripture this morning. God, uh, thank you for the opportunity to share this word today. Uh, I'm really excited um, because you've been working on my heart uh, on this, and so I just thank you for the chance that I get to share this. I pray that you can help me uh, share it and uh, that you can speak with all of us, spirit, move inside of us this morning. Uh, We give this time over to you. We offer it up uh, and ask that you move in our hearts. And uh, we love you, praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to look uh, in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 13. It's in your notes, or it's on the screen, uh, or in your Bibles. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land. You had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. 
They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies because of your great compassion You did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths. You gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. This story um, is kind of is, is new to me. I, I was I've been studying it, and this this particular passage jumped out at me as I was preparing this message. And uh, I got to study this this portion of scripture. And uh, Nehemiah uh, is a, is an interesting story. So Nehemiah and Ezra that that's the book before Nehemiah. Both of them are prophets from God, uh, and they both get similar messages. Nehemiah has a burning on his heart to go back to Jerusalem. Right now, the Israelites are in exile, and many of them were carted off. Some of them remained in Jerusalem, but most of them had been exiled away. And Nehemiah is one of the people that got exiled, and he, he's, he's an important man in, in this new kingdom, and he goes before the king and says, King, I have a burden on my heart. I want to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild its walls and return it back to its former glory. And so the king approves, says, hey, you can go. And I, not only that, I'm going to send guards along with you to protect you. I'm going to give you a letter so that people know that I am sending you. And then I'm also going to help you build these walls. And so that's what happens. Nehemiah goes. Uh, Ezra also feels a, a similar passion, but uh, Ezra has a different heart. He gets to, Israel, or he gets to Jerusalem and, and sees uh, that the temple had already been built, rebuilt that 60 years before, a guy named Zerubbabel came back and, and helped rebuild the temple. And he sees Nehemiah as he's building up the walls, and he sees how Jerusalem is being returned in, in its physical structure back to its former glory. But he recognizes something, and alarm bells begin to ring in Ezra's mind, and saying, like, hey, we can, we can build these things back up. We can build the buildings, and we can build the walls. But what we really need to do is return back to God. The Israelites that are coming back to Jerusalem need to go back to following his decrees and his laws. So uh, he goes before and gathers all the Israelites that are in Jerusalem and, and reads for them the Torah. And he begins to share with them the, the, the history of their people and read the laws that God had laid down for them. Uh, and then in this particular section, he's, he's talking, the Israelites are talking about uh, the Ten Commandments, when Moses had first received them. And he went on, went up Mount Sinai and, and got these commands from God and wrote them down on two stone tablets. And, and on his return, going back to the Israelite people, he finds that they had made a golden calf. And not only were they worshiping an idol, but they were already giving credit to that idol that this is the idol that brought them, that this is the God that brought them out of Egypt, which is what Yahweh did. So they were, they were not only already, within a short amount of time, worshiping another idol, but on top of that, they were giving credit to what Yahweh did to this idol. 
And so Moses is pretty upset, right? He gets back down, and he's got these two stone tablets, and he smashes them on the ground. <laughs> and there's a curse laid out, and, and a plague happens, and people die. So then Moses goes back up the mountain and receives the Ten Commandments again. And I, I left a note in, inside the notes. You'll see Exodus 34. That's where the story is found, uh, where Moses goes back before God, receives the, the commands again, writes them on stone tablets the second time, and is, is grateful to God for his loving commands. And he recognizes that this is, this is God's love, that God is giving commands to set his people apart, to show that these are my people. And as you, if, you're, if you follow Christianity long enough or you've dived into this uh, faith, you know that while sometimes it seems kind of restrictive, these commands seem kind of restricted. Um, if you follow them, you understand that God is actually looking out for you. That he's, he's, he's coming alongside you and saying, I know, how, I know the cheat codes to the world I created, all right? And I know what is the best way to live your life, and here it is. And I'm giving it to you so that you can know how to live and how to serve me and how to have a relationship with me. And so Moses recognizes this and thanks God for his loving commands. And, and now here, the Israelites, who had obviously strayed from God time and time again. They are coming back to Jerusalem. Ezra's reading these stories for them, and they are confessing their sins. They're saying, yes. This is the Israelite community talking like, yeah, God, I, I can't believe that you have stuck by us. They're seeing this whole story through a different lens. Rather than seeing the, the, the oppression that they've been through and, and complaining to God, saying, God, what the heck, why are you doing this to us? They're recognizing and saying, hey, God, we didn't deserve to get to be your people. We didn't deserve anything, and yet you came alongside us, and you have loved us from the beginning. You have not abandoned us. You have stuck by us. No matter how many times we've fallen away from you, no matter how many times we've turned to other gods, you continue to be faithful to us. And so they're recognizing this and confessing this. Now, the story of Nehemiah, uh, it, it kind of ends uh, on a sad note, that uh, as they are uh, confessing their sins and doing these things and, and the, the walls and everything is being rebuilt, um, Nehemiah starts to notice the people are turning back to their old ways. They're again, even though they confessed, even though they committed to follow the laws, that they are start to turn back to their old ways. So the, the book of Nehemiah ends with Nehemiah going before God and saying, hey, I tried. Like, give me credit, God. I, please understand that, like, don't look at this as my failure. I tried. I did everything I can, and they still won't return to you and stick by you. And what I believe Nehemiah is understanding and wrestling with is that you can build the walls, and you can build the temple. You can even get people to hear the law and respond to it. But something, something even more difficult is at play here and that people's hearts need to be changed. That if they're going to truly follow this and continue to follow this and be God's people, their hearts have to be changed. And this is a difficult thing, something that uh, he, he felt he was unable to accomplish. But what I see and what I felt God leading me to this morning is understanding, uh, again, through the lens that God loves us and is working uh, throughout history to reach us, to show that love to us. And I believe it's through that love that God is able to change hearts. That God's persistent, unfailing love is what ultimately changes the hearts on an individual level, but also as a collective people. And uh, we're going to see the culmination of that 
It was on the screen, and we're going to read it here. John 3.16. Hopefully this rings a bell. John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So, as we've been going through this Advent series, we've been seeing how God has been preparing his people for the coming of the Messiah. Then we see how Jesus himself has fulfilled those uh, prophecies. And then we're, we're looking in anticipation for his second coming and seeing how we can learn from the Israelites. Uh, and I believe that God was preparing his people throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, uh, that he was preparing them by loving them and continuing to be faithful, even though they were not. And in, in so doing, he was preparing them for the love that he was going to show on the cross. That Jesus uh, came down and he showed this love. Uh, and later on, Jesus says that uh, there's no greater love than to lay your life down. And so Jesus is showing the greatest love uh, that, that he has to offer. And what I, what I hope we can understand from this, and, and something that I, I have struggled with too, uh, is that we'll look at the cross and we'll look at this sign that Jesus has come down and died for us. And we'll think about the, the power of atonement and, and that he died for our sins. And we'll look on the cross and look at that and be like, wow, there's the weight of my sin. And you'll feel this sense of a bit of guilt and shame as you, you, you think about Jesus and the sacrifice he made for you that you deserved. And we think about the cross as just that, atonement. He paid the price for our sins. But I hope you understand that there's more to it than that. That atonement isn't all that Jesus did on the cross. And, and from this passage, I understand that this is not the, the end of God's showing his love. No, this is just the pinnacle moment. This is the height of, of his effort to love his people throughout history. And it continues to ring on. We, we continue to hear and experience God's love after Jesus' death, but this is the pinnacle moment. And what I hope we can understand, what I hope we can see is that it's not just atonement. It's not just paying for your sins that Jesus did on the cross. He is showing you what it is like to love. And in an effort to, to change your heart, he is loving you in the way he knows is the most powerful love he can show. And so I hope when you look on the cross, you don't just see atonement. You can also look at the example of what it means to love and that your heart can be changed by it. That you can look on Jesus and see his life and understand who he was as a man and, and be changed by who he is, not just what he did. And that's, that's the important part that I believe that God is at work. But greater than, his, than God's ability to create or destroy is God's ability to change hearts through love. That at all times we're, we're at war uh, with a world around us, that evil is pressing in, trying to tr turn us more selfish and self-centered. And God is at work using love to change our hearts to, to be more like his, selfless and God-centered. And so this is, this is what I believe God is doing. And I believe Christ is the pinnacle moment of this, this love that he's not just paying for our sins, but he's also giving us an example and working on our hearts, showing us what love really is about. Now, I have one more passage for us to read this morning. And it's in Mark chapter 12. 
verse 28-31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard the, them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus at this moment uh, is explaining, again, the law that he had given to the Israelites eons before. That he is explaining that, that what he has required of them, what he has called people out to do, what he has called us to be a part of, is this, this love that he has been working since the beginning to show his people. That he has been persistent and consistent in loving his children, his creation. And he is working at work constantly, trying to call them back into a relationship with him. And now Jesus, after displaying his, his, the pinnacle of his love, after displaying him, himself, laying his life down for both atonement and an example of how love really is, he's offering all those that follow him a chance to throw their hats into the ring saying, hey, I now want you to join in. I now want you to be a part of this. I have been at work trying to love you and change your hearts. This power that, that seems unfathomable, that, that when we look at people and we see their hearts and we think, man, that person cannot change. There, there's nothing that's going to work. I have been at work loving them and continuing to love them and watch as my, that power to love is greater than any other power I have. And God and Jesus now is saying, love the Lord your God with all your, your heart, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he's, he's giving you that opportunity to join in. He's giving you the opportunity to join in and see hearts change because of the love that flows from him through you to them. And if you've had an experience of this, you, you probably, many of us in this room have, have gone through this. Whether it's because someone else has loved you that your heart has begun to soften. Or because you've gotten to see what it's like when, when you know that Jesus loves you and, and you have been affected by that, your heart's been, been changed by that, and you want to share that love with others, you can see how that breaks walls down, how that changes hearts. And I, I, I've been in ministry long enough to be able to get to see that, and it's awesome. It's, it's such a cool feeling when, when God uh, comes alongside me and, and actually works through me. That... that because of his love, his grace, that he approaches me with, he shows me how to do that with others. And as I do that with others, with, when I do that with you students and leaders and other people that have been in my life, I get to see how hearts begin to change. It's not an easy process. It doesn't always work right away. In fact, it never works right away. It's always a long, drawn-out process, and it usually incurs a lot of pain. But I remember what Jesus has done for me. I look back at the cross and think, okay, he continues to show me love. And that has continued in my life and, and it has worked on my heart and it changed me. I know that this works because it has changed me. And so now I'm going to keep being consistent. I'm going to keep being persistent in loving these people, even though they don't respond to me well. I'm going to keep doing it because he's done it for me. And I know that if I continue to love, that is the way to combat the evil. 
That is the way to combat sin. It's not through hate. It's not through anger. It's not through guilt or shame. I can't guilt somebody into it, not, not for the long term. I can't put shame on it. I, that's not going to work. No, I, I know that what's worked in my life is, is the love and grace that Jesus has shown me, and so that's what I'm going to show to others. And that's how hearts are changed. Now, what God has laid on my heart this morning is that that's not where it ends. And uh, understand that as I teach this, as I preach this, it's, uh, this is a very hypocritical message. I'm not preaching from a place of like, hey, I've got this down. I'm really struggling with it myself. Um, but it's something that I feel God has led me to. That in that, in that passage, Jesus gives us those two commands of loving God and loving others, but he also gives us the third of loving ourselves. And uh, this became something that um, has been heavy on my heart ever since I watched this show. Uh, and most of you probably never heard of it. It's called Naruto. Um, you might not have heard of it because it's a cartoon. Well, it's, technically it's an anime, but I don't got time to define like what's what. So for all of you, it's probably just a cartoon. Uh, and I, hey, I'm a youth pastor. Like that's... My job is to stay in youth culture. Like, I got to keep up with it, so that, that, that's why I do it. Not, not because I want to, because I have to. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm still a kid, and I really enjoy it. Um, I've been, I watched through Naruto. I've actually now watched through it two times, uh, and it's like 600 episodes, so there's a lot of my life. <laughs> um, but uh, there's a point uh, in the show where Naruto, he's a, he's a ninja, and uh, his goal, yeah, he's a ninja. His goal is to uh, fight against the evil in the world. And uh, particularly the hate in the world. That's, that's his main mission, uh, that he continues to fight against hate. And uh, he's at a particular moment in the show where he uh, is on the precipice of attaining new power. He, he can attain this new power, but first he has to go through a testing. And so he goes to this spiritual place and he's, he's put to a test. Uh, and this test is, he's brought before a waterfall, and his evil self, his, the, all the negative, most worst parts about who he is, is going to emerge from the waterfall, and he has to fight his evil self. And so that's what he does. He goes before this waterfall, his evil self emerges, and his evil self is filled with rage and hate itself. Like, that's, like the thing that he's trying to combat in the world is something he struggles with all the time. And so he is confronted with his evil self, and they begin to fight. And they, they fight physically, and they exchange blow for blow, and he finds that they're evenly matched. But as the fight goes on, he starts to realize that he's getting more tired, and his evil self is only getting stronger. And uh, they begin to dialogue. And his evil self is saying, how, how can you fight for these people? How can you fight for the, the people in this world? They're the ones that mistreated you. They're the ones that, that gave you all the pain that you went through as a child. They're the ones that outcasted you and said that you weren't part of them. And now, now you're, you're fighting to save them? You're laying your life down for them? These people that treat, mistreated you your whole life, your whole childhood, even though you didn't deserve it? And so he's, he's arguing, and, and Naruto is, is arguing back, saying, yeah, but this is what I recognize that if I wanted to defeat their anger and their hate for me, I wasn't going to do it by hating them back. I was never going to defeat the, the hate in the, in the world around me by, by hating in return. 
And it clicks for Naruto in that moment. That the way he's fought evil in, in the world around him is how he needs to fight the evil within his own heart. And so as his, his evil self, his rage-filled self, goes in to uh, fight again, Naruto hugs his evil self. He says, thank you. It's because of who you are and, and the rage within you that I became strong, that I learned who I didn't want to be, that I, I wanted to stray from that and become something different. And you see in that moment that the, the rage from his evil self dissipates. And he's changed into good Naruto. And what I learned from this, this moment in the show, is that as I thought about the way I approach people, the way I approach you students, and the way I have, God has taught me how to approach people and the evil in people's lives, that I know that combating hate in the world is, is not, it's not going to work to hate in return. That I know combating evil with evil is not going to ultimately change anything. That I know that if I'm going to help students to change, to grow and, and have their hearts change, that I can't combat the evil in their life with guilt or shame or hate. I have to use love. That's what Jesus used on me. And that's what's changed my heart. That's what continues to change my heart. I don't fight this very much anymore. I'm proud to say that I don't fight, at least this is one battle, I don't fight very much anymore. I I know God loves me. I know Jesus loves me. And I'm I'm not really questioning that much. Sometimes, every once in a while, I'm like, really? But most of the time, I'm like, yeah, he does. I'm not gonna doubt him. I'm not gonna doubt his love. I know that his love is greater than any sin I have and always has been and always will be. So I don't doubt that anymore. Uh, but one thing that I do doubt, and one thing that I, well, I don't even doubt, I know for a certainty, that I don't really love myself. That there's a difference here there's, uh, between love and like. That uh, I'm, I struggle with loving myself, but I have no problem liking myself. I mean, <laughs> how could you not, right? Uh, but but I... I, I have a tendency to not approach myself with the same love and grace that I know to approach others with. That I will look to other people and I will look to you students and I will look to the other, other people in my life and know that the, the way to combat evil or sin in them is with love. And I treat them with love and grace. The same love and grace that Jesus showed to me, he has taught me to show to others and I know to do that. But when I'm confronted with the evil of myself, my, my sin and, and who I am, that doesn't line up with God, that I don't like. I approach it not with love or grace. I approach it with hate. I approach myself and say, you scum of the earth. If, 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 if everyone knew who you really were, if everyone knew everything about you that I know about me, they wouldn't like you. They wouldn't want you on this stage. And that's the way I approach myself, and I fought myself time and time again, like Naruto. I fought myself, and I, I fought evil with evil means. I, I felt justified in doing so. I felt like this is the right thing to do, that I need to combat the evil within my own heart. And I needed to hate and detest myself. But as I, as I realized that, you know what, I, I don't do that with other people. I understand that there's a difference between the sin of someone and who they are. 
I can make that separation and understand that even though you struggle, and even though I may not like you all the time, I can still love you. Yet, when it comes to myself, I can't. I struggle. I, I, I don't make that separation. I see myself, and I see the evil within my own heart and in my own mind, and I know, no, this is a terrible person. And so what God has been convicting me of and, and helping me learn is that, hey, I, I need you to look at me, yourself the way that I look at you. The way that you have learned how to look at others, you need to look at yourself the same way. And not to try to combat the evil in your own heart with evil, but with love. And this is my belief, that if we are determined to rid ourselves the, the sin and evil in our lives, if we're determined to go before God and, and uh, with Jesus' help, have our hearts completely changed. I believe that we have to do, we have to approach ourselves with love the same way we approach others, the same way Jesus has approached us. And so I prayed to God. I was like, hey God, uh, before I preach this message, I, I, need to, I need to give this a shot. I need to put this into practice. Um, and man, God is good. Confronted me immediately with my own sin. It was awesome. Like, here is all the parts of you you don't like, and we're going to go this whole week, and we're going to learn how to confront it with love instead of with hate. It's been an interesting week. Love to tell you all about it, but it's, it's been an interesting week. But I've already noticed a difference in my, my confidence and my, my understanding that instead of heaping guilt and shame upon myself, which ultimately just kept me dwelling on all of the sin in my life, I just said, okay. But that's not what defines me. That's not who I am. Who I am is a child of God, redeemed by Jesus. And, and I'm going to tell myself that. And I'm going to look in the mirror and be able to say that I love you. It's a weird thought. It's a weird thing. It was very uncomfortable. I love you. <laughs> but... I'm learning. I'm learning to approach myself the same way that Jesus does and the same way that he's taught me to approach others. We're going to go towards communion right now. And as we do so, uh, I just want to encourage all of you that if, if you're new here, if you're visiting for Christmas time, just to let you know, if you believe in Jesus, you're welcome to take uh, communion with us. That's what it's all about. We're, we have an open table here. Uh, and just hold on to it. I'm going to run through a few implications uh, as we go through this, um, as they pass it out. First implication, the first thing that I want us to take away uh, is, is the first thing on the list of, of Jesus' commands, and that's to love God. That, that's our first, our first goal. Um, and something that I preached a few, like a, a month or two ago, was about believing in God's love. And uh, what I think is important is that we, we have confidence in that. Like I said, this is something that I don't struggle with very much anymore because I recognize that when I doubt God's love for me, I'm not doubting my ability to be loved. I'm doubting God's ability to love me. And so what I recognize is that uh, if I'm going to have, that I don't have to have confidence in my love ability. I have to have confidence in God's ability to love despite all the sin that is in my life. And so uh, I don't wrestle with this as much anymore, and I hope that we can see that and look through this lens that as we approach our lives, 
like the Israelites in that story of Nehemiah, that they're recognizing that God has been at work, has not abandoned them, has continued to love them, despite how many times they've turned away from him. They look through the lens of, hey, God loves us, and he hasn't left us. So look in your own life from that lens, that even though there may be conflict and pain going on all around you, look through the lens that God loves you and is constantly reaching out to you. Second thing, love others. Hearts are changed. Hearts are changed through the love that Jesus has given. And, and I, I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that can attest that Jesus' love has changed your heart, hopefully. But it's also so awesome to get to be able to, part, to be a part of that, that we can join in with Jesus and love others the way uh, that he has loved us. And because of that, hearts can be changed. And that's, that's something that he is calling us to be a part of. And the last thing is, love yourself. Kind of has a bad ring to it. Like this idea, love yourself, because in our world today, that means something different. Our world today, that means fulfill all your own desires. That's not what I'm saying today. That's not what I believe. Just like you understand uh, with people around you, especially like if you're a parent with the children, fulfilling all their desires isn't necessarily loving them. Sometimes loving someone means saying no. And Jesus has shown you this, and this this is the way you have to also approach yourselves. That in our world today, to say love yourself means to fulfill your desires, but that's not what we mean here. But as we struggle against the world, sometimes we, we abandon it altogether and say, no, 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 I'm going to completely hate myself. And don't do that either. Don't go to that extreme. Learn to love yourself and approach yourself with the same grace that Jesus has approached you with and that you've learned to approach others with. You utilize that ability to love to combat the evil in your own heart. We're going to take communion. And remember, this is the the pinnacle moment of God's love, where he literally lays down his life for us. He shows us what love is and teaches us how to love like him. So as you take this, remember that not only are you loved, that he loves you, but he's calling you to be a part of this, to also lay your life down for him. To, to partake in what he has, the, the work that he is at hand, to combat the evil in this world with love. And that extends to even yourself. On the last night, uh, when Jesus was portrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it. He says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this and remember to me. In the same way, he took the cup and shared it with them. So this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it and remember me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for showing me first. You haven't expected anything of me that you have not done yourself. So thank you. Thank you for teaching me what love is. Thank you for teaching me that I am loved. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of that love and to share in it and to use it to help others feel loved. And God, continue to work in my heart and help me learn to combat the evil within myself with love. And I pray that uh, we can all be a people 
that um, combat this world, that we can join in with you. We can be a church known for this, that we are a loving church as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.